This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to the Eric Francis Show. It's Monday. Incredible weekend here in Alberta once again. Nothing but sunshine in the forecast moving forward. So we take time out from our golf game to do the Eric Francis Show. A lot of talk over the weekend, of course, over uh, Johnny Gaudreau reuniting with another uh, hardline coach, Mike Babcock. I know that was a big topic on the morning show this morning. A lot of people had some fun with just how tough a combination that may be. Everybody thought of Johnny Gaudreau the minute Babcock's name was married to the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets. And hey, I, I think a lot of people in Calgary openly opined that Johnny Gaudreau would regret this decision. At the end of the day, it's up to him to decide that. And it doesn't matter. It's really nobody's business. But this may be further proof that uh, people do believe he will regret or has regretted the decision to go to the Columbus Blue Jacks. But then again, maybe Babs can turn that thing around. And suddenly Johnny Gaudreau is really thrilled to be uh, close to home in Columbus. All right. The Kachuk family also in the headlines a lot lately because of what Matthew has been doing to turn things around. And uh, not turn things around, but to take his the legend of Kachuk to another level, much to the chagrin of Calgary Flames fans. I reached out to uh, Keith Kachuk today. I thought he'd be great to have on ahead of tonight's game too. And I also reached out to his uh, mom, Chantel. And uh, Chantel informed me that Keith is in timeout. Matt has put Keith in timeout. He's not allowed to do any media. Uh, for those who may or may not remember, earlier this season, Keith was quite critical of the Florida Panthers play and some of their he went after him pretty hard it was all fair comment i think in anybody's eyes but at the end of the day it's matthew who has to go back in the dressing room and say yeah sorry guys my dad was a little hard on you guys on the radio in toronto the other day i'm sure it's a pretty choice words for keith and then at the end of it said you're in timeout the the script is flipped i'm putting you in timeout now you cannot speak to the media until this season is over so Keith Kachuk will not be joining us today. Uh, I asked Chantel if she was in timeout. She informs me she is not in timeout, uh, but probably best not to tempt fate and talk to the media before the playoffs is over. So we'll uh, hook up with the Kachuk family after this magical run is over. No matter how it ends for the Florida Panthers, the Kachuk family have been front and center. We haven't seen the videos, the photos, of his little brother Brady partying in the crowd like he did at the Saddle Dome last season. But again, maybe he's in timeout. I, I can't, I don't know for sure. I, I forgot, to, I should have asked if Brady's in timeout uh, from, from Matthew. So apparently Matthew's wearing the pants in the family right now. And uh, that makes sense because uh, <laughs> he is running the NHL at this point in time. Saw an article on the weekend in People Magazine about Matthew Kachuk. I mean, these. It's not just moving to a, a team in the States. It's more, if you make it to the Stanley Cup final, you can break through all sorts of barriers and cross all sorts of lines in terms of publicity and uh, notoriety. And he's certainly doing that. I mean, he was on the TNT panel on the weekend. I saw talking with Charles Barkley and Shaq. And uh, Shaq had a brilliant question. Not... Uh, <laughs> He asked him if, if they had uh, home ice advantage in the National Hockey League. 
Good question, Shaq. Way to prepare for this one. Uh, okay. What I want to get to first in the show is, uh, is, is the captaincy. The, the Calgary Flames will name a captain this year. I had reported this before Brett, Craig Conroy was named general manager. And that I know that uh, through various sources, the organization feels that they really uh, missed having a captain over the last couple of years. And I had a good chat with Craig Conroy the other day about that. And, and one of the big points is the captain is the conduit between the dressing room and the coach. And we know that there was a massive disconnect this year between the dressing room and the coach. And in past years, certainly when Sutter was here the first time around, you know, a guy like Jerome McGinley could go into the coach's room and reason with him, uh, plan with him. It's not about an us versus them mentality. It's more just, let's just make sure we're all on the same page. I, as captain, can help you deliver the message to the players. You as coach can help deliver a message that I as captain am trying to pass along. Like they really do work hand in hand, they, or at least they should work hand in hand. But the way I always looked at it, and I think a lot of people was, Daryl Sutter was the captain of this team the last couple of years. And I think he was okay with that. Now, I'm not saying that that was by design by Daryl so that he'd have more control or power over the players. I don't think there was an obvious captain. I was uh, one of the first people to say, like, I, I don't think you should force it. If it's not obvious, then I don't think you should ever name a captain until it's pretty clear that someone has stepped forward either with their play and or with their leadership behind closed doors and prove to people that they are, in fact, captain material. But I do think that someone emerged this year and, to me, is the easy captain of this team moving forward, and that's Rasmus Anderson. The way he conducted himself after a ton of really tough losses down the stretch. Uh, and then, you know, I think there's other options out there. Don't get me wrong. Michael Backlund, if he signs a long-term extension. Elias Lindholm, I don't think he wants that role, but he would have to sign a long-term extension as well. And Mackenzie Weger is in the mix too. We're going to get more on that. I'd love to get your thoughts on the fat feedback line, 960-960. But our first guest today is someone who I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing last week. Uh, he was uh, the guest of honor for the Gordie Howe Cares uh, hockey tournament in support of dementia and those people who work in and around dementia. Uh, so much great work has been done by this organization over the years. I'm thrilled every year to emcee their event. And Phil was our guest. And I hated ending the interview because he's just so full of great stories. And he's had such an incredible career. And he's so colorful and personable. And he's our guest today. Uh, he, <laughs> Phil Esposito is his name. He's a Hockey Fall Hall of Famer. The most dominant center of his era. In 18 seasons with the Hawks, Bruins, and Rangers, he won five scoring titles starting in 68-69. He never totaled fewer than 126 points in those five seasons. He led the league in goals six straight times. He won the Hart Trophy twice, won the Stanley Cup twice and he became the first player ever to score more than 100 points in a season and also the first to score 50 goals in five straight years uh we welcome phil esposito to the atlas pizza hotline how are you my friend i'm doing pretty well thank you um shingles are just about all gone so i'm feeling better i'm going to try playing golf tomorrow for the first time is that right well good thank you i'm glad for that i was going to ask how you were doing you couldn't make it to calgary for the uh 
for the event last week because of the shingles. Your doctors wouldn't clear you to fly, but is and and forgive me, I don't know all that much about shingles. You can shake it, you can give it the old head fake and get rid of it, or is it something that may haunt you for a lot of years? Well, they tell me that it's there. You always have it. If, if you've had chicken pox, you've got it in you already. So uh, I didn't. Somebody said, did you ever have chicken pox? I said, yeah, like I can remember when I was eight or nine years old. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I can remember that. I don't remember that. Of course not. But I no. must have because I guess you got the, I got the shingles. But I can tell you one thing. It's one of the most painful things I've ever went through, shingles. It, uh, thank God it was on my, mostly on my back and my, under my arm, uh, all the way down the side of my left side. Funny, I played left. I was left-hand shot, left-hand baseball, left-hand doing all that. And I seem, everything on my left side seems to be messed up. (laughs) 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 Gotta get it better. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, good to hear you're on the men. Okay, I want to start by asking you about Florida's run to the final. And I asked you the other day uh, if, if that bothered you, if the if the rivalry, the state rivalry, you know, prohibited you from cheering for them, but you said that you're very very much on board and loving what's happening in Florida right now. Absolutely, I am. I'm I'm uh, totally on board with it. I I think it'd be uh, great. And you think about it, and I'm very proud of this to say. So the last four years, a team from Florida has been in the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh wow! Yeah. And Think about that. And they won twice Amazing. out of four. And yeah, you started so, it. Well, it, it came down to people thinking that I was absolutely out of my cotton-picking mind, especially up north in Toronto and New York and the Boston area and up to Montreal. They all thought, well, how do hockey play hockey in Florida? And I never understood that, tell you to Rick, because – you play indoors. You don't play outdoors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you play indoors. Yeah. So, you know, you put the temperature at 70 degrees or something in the, in the arena, 69. I think we have it here around 68, 69 degrees. And we, you buy these big uh, humidity for humidity, which we ended up doing too, which takes a lot of the humidity out. I get a charge when I hear... Uh, knowledgeable people say, well, the humidity's got to bother you. Well, I can tell you, I would, I played in the Stanley Cup playoffs in May in the late 60s and early 70s when there was no air conditioning in the buildings. And, in fact, 72, when we played the first game in Montreal against the Russians, it was 92 degrees outside. They had no air conditioning. Yeah. Okay? Nobody bitch nobody complained nobody said oh you can't do it i don't know seems yeah, to me the more older out. we get and the more protection we want to have and we have to protect more people and make sure you got this and make sure you're wearing this i, I don't know i had a, a not an argument a discussion with bobby taylor a chief bobby taylor that played for the flyers and a couple other guys that are hanging around here, you know, like Braden Coburn and and uh, who's going to probably do half the games next year on radio, the road games. I'm going to do all the way home games. He's going to do all the away games. 
Oh, good. Braden is very good at it, and I'm good for uh, Probably. I mean, we've been talking about it, and uh, I'm trying to see if I can get that to be worked out for him and, because I think it's important, two guys in the booth. It's very difficult, one guy, to do it all by himself now. Very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a load off for you too for to switch uh, switch it up. Yeah, to because I don't want to travel know. like that anymore. No way, That's, uh, it's over. <laughs> After <laughs> all these years, it's over. <laughs> I like it. I like it. But we're talking to Phil Esposito, Hall of Famer. Uh, he was the co-founder with his brother. They, they brought hockey to to Florida with the Tampa Bay Lightning many many years ago. That's well documented and. And I wonder, you know, the guy who's the talk of the playoffs right now is obviously very familiar to people here in Calgary, Matthew Kachuk. And I asked you the other day if there was any player that reminded you of the way you played the game. And you said Leon Dreisaitl. Does Kachuk uh-huh. remind you at all of the way you used to play? I mean, he does score the large majority Hell of his no. goals right there. No? <laughs> no, no. I You didn't muck I it never, up. I didn't get involved like he always tries to get involved. And I... Sometimes I think I know what he's doing. He's trying to get his teammates aroused and get them going and stuff like that. And that's the type of kid he is, and that's the type of player he is. He's uh, very competitive and stuff like that. Not that I wasn't competitive because I was absolutely competitive. But I uh, I didn't like losing. After games, it took me at least – everybody else would be out of the rink, and I'd still be sitting in the dressing room. And I remember my wife telling me, well, can you hurry up a little bit? I said, listen, why don't you go with Freddie, Freddie Stanfield, because we used to go with them and Anita, his wife, go with them and I'll meet you wherever you guys are going. I just did not like rushing after mm-hmm. the game. When we lost, I liked to sit there and ponder the whole thing. And like, how did I miss this shot? How did I miss this shot? From I was just inside the circle, on the left of the goaltender, left-hand shot, facing perfect. How the hell did I miss the net? That can't happen. Mm-hmm. And I used to think like that. I, I very that was my whole thing. I always put it on the net, put the onus on the goalie. You talk about how hard you took losses. I had a, a fascinating conversation with John Davidson. He said you were also the most superstitious guy he ever met yes yes how so i was well it started very early in my career when um i was in chicago with there was guys they throw their sticks down and they were crossed and the guy broke his leg that night uh, <laughs> my one of my best friends I, I i grew up with him in the Sioux, matt ravelage he broke his leg and ever since then i would i would go around the room anybody crossed sticks it was and you know, as I got as I got um, more established and got better, I had more authority. Mm-hmm. So I used to say, "No cross sticks in the dressing rooms. Come on, <laughs> you know." <laughs> and then people would send me, like, of course, the Italian horn, a four-leaf clover. I had the Jewish Jewish um, uh, star thing. I had um, you name it, the Chinese symbols. I had any kind of symbol that they wanted, they sent me, and I hung it on my stall. <laughs> and, of course, it was the black T-shirt that I turned around backwards so that it could wear it almost like a turtleneck. Didn't wear the turtlenecks in those days. It was too, way too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wore a black T-shirt 
turned around backwards. Uh, that was another superstition of mine. And if I scored in a game, my stick went, and I never touched that stick until the next game. Wow. And I used the same stick for maybe 15 games, maybe 20 games. You know, I mean, now. of course, well, we were wood sticks, and mine was one of the heavier sticks in the game. In fact, I think the only one bigger and heavier in mine was Kent Douglas. If you remember, his stick was like a, a two-by-four, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but Leon Dreisaitl reminds me of that because you see the size of his blade? Yeah. You go back and you look at pictures of me, see the look at the size of my blade. Do you have that custom-made? How did you get that? Get it so big? They, I didn't know they offered well, larger um, size. Actually, in the beginning, I used Bobby Hill's stick. In Chicago, I just used Bobby's stick. He cut it down a lot more to make it even stiffer. But he was a lot shorter than me, so I didn't cut it down very much. Um, but it was a very, very stiff shaft with a a wide, wide. The shaft going down was also wide. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just like the feel of it. It's like nowadays, I can't. I watched the guys get their sticks knocked out of their hands. So it's so easy because you know they created it's a penalty now. Back in mm-hmm. my day, that was a hell of a play. If you could knock the guy's stick out of his hands, that was a great play. Yeah, great play. But you know they've done away with all of that, and these sticks break so easily. I'm telling you, I would have been all over my trainer to go to the stick company and say, if if I had been right there in the slot, hash marks, okay, right there, and I go to shoot my stick broke, I'm telling you, <laughs> I would go crazy. Uh, and I, I just couldn't imagine that happening. And I see it happening all the time now. You yeah. do too. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to, I mean, the guys, you can see the guys, they get a little peed off and they go mm-hmm. what the hell you know yep. but you have no time and the sticks are breaking all over the place anyway i mean yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous and those sticks are costing 350 400 dollars yeah oh that's Give a whole different a break move. i know you'd think they'd come yeah, with a guarantee <laughs> yeah I, mean, I don't see at least the last three or four games <laughs> yeah yeah they do i, well, know, I know uh we're talking to phil esposito yeah, we even a we weren't allowed to give a stick away. If we if they caught us giving a stick away, they'd take twenty dollars off our pay for <laughs> pay for the stick. <laughs> different time, different time. It I, sure is. I love it. Uh, before you called in, we were just talking about, you know, the, the Calgary Flames are going to name a captain this year. They think it's very important. That, you know, they haven't had one for a couple of years, and the the mantra going forward will be that they will definitely have a captain. Do you think it's important to have a captain, or is it just a is it just a letter no. on a jersey? No, I don't think it's important. No, I never did. In Boston, we really never had a captain. Johnny Busick was the unofficial. He was mm-hmm. the oldest. He was the guy we all went to. But um, when I got to Boston, there was just A's, assistant captains, and we used to make a joke with Chief. I used to make a joke with him and say. Captain, 
The only reason you want to – people make you captain so you can handle the parties. <laughs> you know? <laughs> handle the parties and handle the tickets on the road. Important. Well, Chief, Chief did that all the time anyway. Yeah. Uh, important. Look, these guys nowadays don't have time. They get a parties and stuff like that. They When they do, it's mostly probably in a home because you can't go out. People with these cell phones and taking pictures of you and God knows what they could put on the Internet now. Mm-hmm. They can say things that aren't true. And I, in this world, it seems to me you're guilty. So prove yourself innocent. Yeah, the other way around. Fair you enough. Know? So, yeah. I stay away from all of that stuff. I have, and I still do. If I see anybody trying to take pictures of myself or my wife when we're going out to dinner without asking, I'll just go up to them and say, "Listen, I'd appreciate it if you do not put that on social media." Mm-hmm. I don't do, like eh? social media. Never, I never, I don't do it, and I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't want somebody uh, catching me smoking a cigar, for Christ's sakes, and drinking a, a, a shot of tequila. <laughs> Why? And yeah. then if I look like I'm drunk, you know, which could happen easy. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, I don't want a picture like that in there. So I try my best to, to try to curtail it. But, hey, I'm mm. 81 years old now. They don't. They don't bother me as much as they used to. No, no, I I would believe you. I believe you. Okay, we're talking well, to Phil Esposito. You know, when you get older, Eric, when you when you get older, you really don't give a damn anyway. You just <laughs> um, screw off. Now. <laughs> what are you gonna do? You're an eighty-one year old. Go ahead, have a nice time, you young punk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you've been warned, people. Don't take photos of Phil without his permission, and don't put it on the internet. Well, that's for not, sure. It's not so much that. Uh, I could only imagine, listen, some of the things that us guys did in the late 60s, early 70s, I mean, you couldn't get away with nowadays. I mean, no. we all know that. Yeah. We all know that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I feel for the guys that play now. People say, yeah, oh, but look at the money they're making. Absolutely. And their quality of life is terrific as they're playing and everything else. But, God, they got to be on their P's and Q's all the time. Yeah. That's hard. That's really it's true. hard. It's true. But they, you know, I, I know that just talking to uh, players from your generation and such, like the players today operate like small corporations, really. I mean, and 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 they yeah. don't go out and party. I'm not saying they don't party, and some guys certainly still do. But you know, they they they've got so much at stake, and they take care of themselves so much. The partying that you guys used to do back in the '70s. Uh, they don't party like that nowhere close to it. I, I know that to be a fact, especially during the season. No, no, no absolutely not. And in the summertime, we all worked. Christ, yeah. we didn't make enough playing in the game, so we worked in the summer, most of us. And, um, you know, played ball or or something like that. It was it was a lot of fun. Played softball or hardball, fast pitch. It was great. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do that anymore either. And worked. <laughs> yeah. Well, Funny and, and we t- we talked about it the other day about how when you got traded to Boston, you almost quit because the GM wouldn't 
Yeah. You wanted to, you wanted to make twelve grand a year, like you know, for our young listeners, yeah. just putting this in perspective. You almost quit because they wouldn't pay you twelve grand a year. You said if if you don't pay me twelve grand, I can make more than that in the steel plant, in Sault Ste. Marie, where you're from. And you said at right. the end, you're so thankful, obviously, that you didn't quit and go back to the steel mill. But uh, but it was it was a battle to get your dollars. Well, it was the fact because I was married and I had a child. And- and I I needed to steady income, and it wasn't easy when you weren't making enough money to survive. Because when you went to the, you know, you played, you had a rent someplace. When I went home in the summer, I still I lived with my mom and dad, and then I had my I bought a cottage out in uh, on Lake Superior, and that's where we lived, and that's where we went every summer. Went back there. I remember that borrowing. I borrowed three thousand dollars from my uncle. My dad didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Paid him back. Oh, I paid him back as fast as I could. Yeah, but that's the way things were. And look, uh, we went through our things. These guys are going through their thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I say this still today, and I think I told you this. If I could play today, I'd go out there and play right now. I loved it that much. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and you were you were damn good at it. You know, I I, I think that people don't recognize you. You were the first goal, or you were the first guy to score seventy plus goals in the National Hockey League in uh, in seventy seventy one. Yeah. Seventy six goals, seventy six assists. That shattered Bobby Hall's previous goal scoring record in the National Hockey League by eighteen goals. Now you were told also though. And you probably thought, well, no one's going to beat these records. Or, or I'm just curious, what did you ever think people would no, touch your never records? That. I no? always thought records were made to be broken. Okay. And then my dad, my dad, remember calling me up. We used to talk. I talked to my dad at least two or three times a, a week on the phone about hockey, and we just shoot the shit. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I'm sorry. All good, and, my friend. Uh, <laughs> okay. And, um, and, you know, we always did. And he says, son, there's a little skinny Polak kid up here that's going to break every record you ever set. I said, what's his name? He says, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> I said, really? I says, I, I don't know the name. He says, I think he's 14 or 15 years old, 15 years old, yeah. playing junior. <laughs> and I said, in the Sioux. He, he said, in the Sioux. And he said, Phil, I'm telling you, this kid is so good. It's amazing. And I said, oh, well, we'll see, Dad. You know, a lot of guys are good at 14, 15, 16, yeah. but they, pan, they don't pan out. Well, on the other hand, I was I didn't even make junior hockey till I was 19. So, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, or late 18, well, I was 18, but only two, three months shy of my 19th. And uh, so, yeah, and then a couple of years later, I'm in the NHL. I mean, how does that happen? And yeah. uh, I get a break, and that's the other thing. And Wayne was just, uh, by the way, of all the guys, I don't think I told you this. When we first started with the Lightning here, and I put that uh, preseason game on between Pittsburgh and L.A., mm-hmm. with the fact that I wanted Mario to play and I wanted Wayne to play, and I paid them way more money, more much money than, they, they were supposed to get the teams. I give them 150000 a piece, and 
just to get this exhibition game or preseason game mm-hmm. and so that I could show the league that we could draw people. We ended up drawing 27,000 people oh. in a baseball facility. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was good. But then Mario didn't play. So I didn't. I remember Craig Patrick. I said to him, Craig, Mario's not playing. I'm not giving you 150. No way. I'll give you 75. And Rogie Vashon was running L.A., and I gave them 150 because Wayne played. Not only did he play, he was one of the – I couldn't believe. After the game, I went to thank him. He says, do you need anything else, Espo? you need any? I said, yeah. well, I'm going to go to the go to the outfield here and the corporate sponsors because it was a baseball facility. We put corporate sponsors out in the outfield because those seats, the bleachers, would move in. Yeah. Okay. And um, Wayne stayed with me till like about two, two thirty in the morning, oh. with these people saying hi and having a beer. But you know, we had a beer, but we couldn't have a beer everywhere because hell, we would have to carry us out of there. And, <laughs> and so, but he he was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I never ever forgot it. I uh, Wayne was just. Over and above the call of duty for me. Yeah. Really was. We love those stories. And uh, he says, he says, whatever I could do to help you, Phil, anything I can do to help you, I suppose I'm, I'm there. I said, thanks, Wayne. I said, I might be calling you. And he says, no problem, anytime. But yeah. he, you think about that. There is a player that, you know, broke my records. Okay, there you go. You said about that. Yeah. Uh, it was fine. I remember I followed him for three day, three games before he finally scored over 70, he got to 77. And I remember the third game was in Buffalo because I think we went to Detroit. Jesus, I don't know where the other place was. Maybe New York. I'm not sure. I can't remember now. But I know it was Buffalo where he did it. And I finally, I went on the ice, and I have a picture of Wayne and I in my house here with him putting a towel on me. It was so hot in that building. <laughs> and, you know, of course, he was sweating, but he played. And I was sweating, and I said to him, I said, I was leaving tomorrow. I didn't care. If you didn't do it tonight, I was gone. <laughs> I couldn't take any more. <laughs> yeah, plus he didn't pay $150,000 to show up either, right? <laughs> no, no. But, but uh, listen, I, 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 uh, Wayne Gretzky stands up high in my, in my explanation of a person who saw a player, an ex-player, was trying to do something, was getting stonewalled from everywhere, especially from guys like Eagleson. And, um, I, and he helped me out. And he helped me out. That's I'll never forget, never forget it for, uh, about it. Never. Well, Wayne always had that great reverence for, for those before him, right, who paved the way for him to do what he's done. And, yes, and, he did. He, he continues to yes, do that. he did. He always had that, that great feeling of the guys put before him and i really appreciate it yeah uh we appreciate you joining us today one one or two more for uh, phil esposito 
Uh, I, I, we can't chat with you without talking about the speech. Everybody knows what the speech is from 72. And our fan feedback line is lit up from people who want to know about the speech. I asked you last week about it. And I think it's fascinating when you tell us that you didn't have any sort of clue of the repercussions of what you'd said on the air after that loss of Vancouver. No. And when you really kind of lit into the fans for the way they treated you guys. Well, I never saw the interview with Johnny Esau. It wasn't really, really a speech. I know they call it a speech. In yeah, fact, yeah. I have a painting, an original painting, right uh, in my house here, right here. I'm looking at it with the microphone with uh, at that exact moment. And uh, the emotion that was going through me was really... I was scared to death. I was scared to death that we weren't ready for these guys. And how in the hell were we going to get ready for them? <laughs> how? And if we lost this series, what you know? What would happen? Would my father and mother get? more rocks through their windows and my brother be called a traitor and, and me, uh, would that happen? Because it happened during that series. They did throw a rock or two through my mo- dad and mom's window uh, saying that we were bums and all this other stuff, and, which really bothered me, really bothered me a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, or, you know, if we, if we won, if we won, would it would it change? Would things change? That series was life changing for hockey. Yeah, because if you think about it, just like we watched in the game the other night, was it last night or the night before? Night before the game, the first game of the finals. Yeah, yeah. with the pushing and shoving and rubbing of faces after the whistles and all that. That's European hockey in the 70s. That's how they played in the 70s and the 80s. We never did that in the 70s, 80s. You did that, you got punched in the face. <laughs> there was no questions asked. The guy <laughs> drops his glove and punched you in the face. Mm-hmm. It was over. Mm-hmm. That is the one thing I wish the NHL would clean up on. That was the one thing I wish the officials would. You got four of them out there. You can see who started it. Mm-hmm. And for, listen, that last one when Kachuk got thrown, Kachuk or Kachuk, I call him Kachuk, anyway, got thrown out of the out of the game, you know, mm-hmm. about four minutes to go with a 10-minute misconduct, he was the instigator. He started all that. Yeah. Without a doubt. So he's the one guy that should have gone. But when that goalie, Aiden Hill, and earlier on in the second period, when he came down and hit one of the players, I think it was Cousins. Yeah, he threw a stick, punch, yeah. And, yeah. He, and he threw a punch. Never got a goddamn penalty. What the <laughs> hell was that about? I mean, those are the type of things that you got to stop. Yeah. You've got four officials out there. Four. they got to be able to see that. Mm-hmm. Come on. But you don't uh, think like fans love that stuff, guy though. That initiates. I'm sorry. What? Don't you think the fans love that? Like, you know, people start screaming, oh, this could elevate into, into a real fight. I mean, it's I guess that's what you'd rather to, have. Though. 
Yeah. It doesn't do it now. Has uh, when was the last time you see a real fight breakout from that? Yeah, you're Not right. Not in you're the playoffs right. for sure. No. Not in the playoffs for sure. Yeah. You know. No. And, and uh, I just think it, the goalie makes the save. The whistle blows. Why in the heck does the offensive player go there and stand there? Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to irritate the defender. I mean, yeah. I mean, to irritate the guy, the defender. The only defenseman comes in and pushes him out of the way. That starts it. Yeah. So the offensive yeah. player, once the whistle blows, get the hell out of there. So in 72, I, I, in 72, there was, lot, there was lots of that, though, in 72, wasn't there? That shoving and, and stuff after the whistle? You better believe there was because yeah. we didn't know how to handle it. Our day yeah. we was you fight. Yeah, and they wouldn't fight. We didn't know how to handle that. We had no idea how to handle it. Interesting. But we, we learned. <laughs> we learned pretty quickly. I you want to play that? We play it. And uh, look, uh, uh, those guys that I played with in 72, every quarter, 35 of them, even if guys didn't play, were without a doubt special guys to me because we went through a lot of torture. I mm. remember them telling us we had lost we would have had a, no way we would have had a charter coming back. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And it's I believe serious. it, by the way. <laughs> I believe it. Oh, no. Oh, you'd have been no. Stuck it, there. it was, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, we stuck together. And the yeah. people, the fans, they did turn after the Vancouver incident. But I, we didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, you were overseas. Well, yeah, I mean, we were, went to Toronto first. I remember went to Labatt's and the FBI came in and, and the Mounted Police and other people telling us that we had to be careful when we were over there. The rooms would be bugged and all this other stuff and watch <laughs> where we went and, and stuff like that. And we had no clue what mm-hmm. to expect. I mean, wow. uh, we had... <laughs> We had a, a, a couple of guys wanted to stay in tents outside of Moscow because they were afraid their rooms were going to be bugged. Come on. Crazy. That's how crazy it was. Yeah, it sure was. It sure was. But we won. Yeah. And that, to this day, to this day, they still play that tournament in September in Russia. Do you know that? No, I didn't know the that. The whole eight games, yeah. I've been to Russia since 2012, probably up until 18, I guess, when when the the BS uh, COVID hit, um, the flu, mm-hmm. just like in 1968 as the, the swine flu, uh, where a lot of people died. We didn't shut down anything. No, that's another thing. Uh, but we, you know, we just, we just understood that we felt alone. I gotta tell you, we felt alone. And then the telegrams started coming in, the telegrams, and the, and the, what the press called us and 
Sweden, the mafiosa, and this and that. And we were. There's no doubt about it. We were. We, um, we, we played dirty over there, but boy, oh boy, we didn't give them any more than they gave us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, well, the worst, one of the worst injuries I ever saw in my life. And that's here in, in Sweden when they stuck him in the mouth with a stick. When they used to file their sticks down to like a butter knife at the point and stick you behind the kneecaps or stick you in the, in the ribs. Or, or In this case, they stuck Wayne Cashman in the mouth. Cut his tongue like a snake. That's why he didn't play in Russia. And you had said last week you hated these guys. Like it was a genuine hate. There had to be. Yeah. Then I got to meet them all, and I realized it was politics that screwed us both up. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking just Russia. Canada was as much at fault as as Russia was with the politic baloney. Doesn't seem to change much either. No. <laughs> hey, uh, when we surprised you the other day and, and had Paul Henderson come on and, and chat with you, Hey, how did that? How did that feel? Just to see his face again, and be what? Did, what did he mean uh, to that tournament? Well, to I, I saw I saw Henny. Oh, I guess about a month ago. Where the hell was it? I forget where we were, but I, I saw him. I, I think it was at a show. Yeah, it was at a show, and I saw him, and he and he and Ivan and I were at the table sitting there signing autographs. And um, look, Paul Henderson did something that, and for that matter, myself, I I probably never played to that caliber. Except you know, I I talk think about that, and people say that was your finest moment ever. Yet I scored seventy six stinking goals. I got one hundred and fifty two points. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else did that. So I think, you know, and I got tired of Glenn Sater saying, Phil, if you were only in better shape, you would have made, you would have broken everybody's records. Nobody would have touched you in better shape. <laughs> well, I was in good shape as far yeah. as I was concerned. I didn't look so good on the beach, though, because I <laughs> like to eat. <laughs> 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 and drink. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the the, uh, the uh, thing with, with Henderson was he was unbelievable in Russia. Oh, yeah. He was the, – the goal he scored in what game was it where he beat two, two defenders, two defensemen, and scored on Tretiak. Now, the last goal that uh, that Paul scored a winner, I don't know what the hell Trechak was doing, and I've asked him this. I, I've asked him, and, and Paul told you. Mm-hmm. He said that was just a bad goal, Trechak. <laughs> That's what Trechak said le- years re- later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. He kicked a rebound straight out, for crying out loud. <laughs> and, uh, and that was me, though. I'd always got the puck on the net. I was skating backwards, but I had enough juice on it that it got on the net. Mm-hmm. And he kicks a rebound out. But Henderson, 
was, I don't know, he, it took about two seconds or three seconds for him to get up, but that was the perfect time. And I think about this, and I, uh, am I a religious man? Well, I believe in God and all that other stuff. I really do. Am I really religious? Probably not as much as I should be. But don't tell me that God didn't intervene for us. Yeah. That's all I think. I think about that. Yeah. I do. Probably felt that way for sure. Yeah. Yep. Hey, listen. Thanks for your time. (laughs) I I appreciate your time, Phil. Always great to hear your stories. Uh, I would uh, when I when I come down to Tampa next year, I'll definitely come over and say hi, and uh, appreciate hey. you sharing sharing your time today, Matt. Uh, thank you so much. You got it. We'll be there. All right, there he is. That's uh, Phil Esposito, one of the greatest players of all time, and it's uh, I think it's so great to have uh, these guys on the show and and tell their stories, but also just just to remember how great they were and what they did to contribute to the game. And I joked with Phil last week, you know. With his personality and the productivity he had in the National Hockey League, I said, how much would you be paid to these days? Like, there's a $12 million player right there scoring 76 goals and, and being great with the media and a real personality and, uh, you know, contributing in so many different ways. But anyway, there he is. I'm so glad we could have him on uh, and, and uh, he could hear share some of those stories from 72, but also from uh, from the NHL and, and, and other times. Okay. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Uh, something uh, we had a record, a record broken in uh, that something we've never seen in Western Canada before. Certainly uh, here in Calgary, I won't tell you exactly what it is, but uh, it has to do with our uh, our sponsor, Horse Racing Alberta. And uh, Alberta, as we know, was built on the back of a horse, and horses continue to play an important role in the province today. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry contributes. Over $300 million to the Alberta economy. Live standard bread racing is back. Come experience the races live every Friday and Saturday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. For more info on how to get in on the action, visit thehorses.com. Must be 18 plus. Please play responsibly. We'll take a break. We'll be right back with Don McDougall. He's the president of the Alberta Standard Bread Horse Association with news on something amazing that happened over the weekend. This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, welcome back. Thanks for listening to the Eric Francis Show. I always appreciate it every Monday from noon till 1 o'clock. It's all about storytelling, and uh, Phil Esposito is one of the best, so we thank him for his time. Our next guest uh, was in, in, well, has witnessed some history uh, over the weekend. Uh, I'll let him. I'll let him tell you the news. He's the president of the Alberta Standard Bread Horse Association. Uh, obviously involved with Century Downs and Horse Racing Alberta, which has been a great sponsor for this show for several years. Don, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Eric. How are you doing today? It's got to be I, interesting. Phil's always got lots of good stories. He is great. And, and you texted me during the interview. You you caddied for Phil Esposito years ago. Yeah, I'll just tell a quick story. Like back in the, back in my really young days, I, I used to work at a uh, golf course. I worked at Willow Park and had a few different jobs. I started off cleaning clubs in the back and then working in the shop and stuff. And Ken Bowie and the owners out at Willow Park had a, a NHL charity classic out there. And I got the pro there at the time, Lauren Rowe 
gave me the bag of Phil Esposito, which was awesome. Uh, my only fear was the very first um, tee, he gave me a Stanley Cup rings to keep for him. Back in those wow. days, we didn't have a whole lot of money, and I was hoping I was hoping that I didn't have holes in my golf shorts and they'd fall out as we were walking around. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I had these in. We went around. He and John Davidson were playing together with a couple members. They had a great day, lots of laughs and fun. And after that, I don't know, he paid me 10 or $20 or something. I put put down his bag, said thanks very much, and I went out to, to work. I was picking range balls in the driving range. About 9 o'clock at night, pitch dark out. I reach in my pocket, and there's still these two big Stanley Cup rings. And I oh, thought wow. I was going to be assassinated by Phil Esposito in some place. But they were still up. Luckily, in those days, they used to hang around the lounge for quite a period of time. Yeah. So I, I ran up <laughs> to the clubhouse, and he was still up there having a couple of beverages. And he said, don't worry, I'd have found you, kids. So. <laughs> yes, he would have. I love that story. Not surprising he was still in the lounge. That is the way he rolled, always has, always will. Yeah, uh, that is a sure. great story. Kenny Bowie, I'd love to hear that name. I was a I was a backshop boy, too, growing up in Ontario. I love that job, working at uh, cleaning golf clubs, carrying clubs, caddying for guys. So good for you for, for uh, yeah. caddying oh, yeah. for it Phil. Was, it was an awesome way to get connected, that's for sure. Oh, for sure, right? And to learn the game and, and just be yeah. around the, the greatest game in the world. Okay. Let's get to the business at hand. What happened at Century Downs on Saturday? Because I think this is really, really cool. Yeah, it's it's something that's never happened in Western Canada. We kind of had a little bit of an inkling the week before that it could happen. Um, there, there's a horse named Shark Week, which has been around there. And kind of a funny story, about a year and a half ago, there was another really good horse out here. Uh, his name was Codenamed Cigar, Cigar Box. And Shark Week was just kind of <laughs> developing into a real nice racehorse. And he couldn't beat Codenamed Cigar Box at all. Like, got to the point where he finished third, fourth, or fifth. And horses or athletes are like humans. You start getting beat, and, and it it gets to their psyche and their confidence and doesn't quite go as good. And lucky, lucky for quite a few horses out here, codenamed Scarbox got sold for, sold for pretty big money uh, to some Eastern connections. So all of a sudden over the year, it opened the door for a couple other horses and shark week started really developing into a nice horse. But a week ago he went a mile in 150 and two, so 150.2. And there's always been a barrier, like in the old days when you and I would have first started racing, if standard breads broke two minutes, it was a big thing. Yeah. But out east, some of these tracks, they're now going miles like 49 and 48 and, and approaching almost thoroughbred speeds. The, the breed is really developing in a strange way. But the week before, he went 150 and two with Mike Hennessy driving him for his dad, Rod, who's been a horseman in Alberta forever. Mm-hmm. He went 150 and two, and Mike didn't even look like he was really trying too much down the lane. He kind of looked like he was out for a Sunday joyride. So we kind of thought he had a little bit more into him. And the horses have a chance to usually race two weeks. They get one week off in between. So we kind of were hoping it was a nice day. It was warm out. The track looked like it was fast. We were hoping we would get a chance. But, um, yeah, it was it was a magic mile they went some good fractions at the very beginning and at the very end when he went underneath the the finish line the time of 149 and two came up and it was just like people who were there were you just can't um do anything but believe this horse was going really fast at that point in time it was an awesome awesome day so that's two track records at century downs in in the course of just a week basically and I, I'm I'm fascinated because I, you know I've I've loved my whole life going out and, and, and betting on the ponies. I, I love it, but but I'm not sure how I would react or how people would react when they find out 
they just witnessed the fastest race that a horse has ever raced on that track. Like, what's the reaction from the crowd? Oh, I mean, pretty much everybody, because of what had happened the week before that he got so yeah. close, most of the people had a pretty good idea. The track announcer, Murray Slough, is pretty good at playing things up. He talked okay, about it a little yeah. bit in the pre-race. When you saw this horse come out in the post-parade, um, when they come out to parade the horses in front of the grandstand, you could just see he had his ears pinned back and he was ready for something special. Normally, they kind of go slow and it's horse by horse. He was like the last horse parading, and he was by them before they even got to the finish line going by. So you, you kind of knew that they had him primed for a pretty top effort. Um, but Murray played it up pretty good, and there was definitely a lot of excitement from all the people who know horses, horses a lot of clapping when they came back to the to the winner's circle. He did a little bit of a, a not quite a victory lap, but a little half circle where they did some filming because it's not just the fastest time in at Century Downs. Um, it's fastest time in Western Canada, and they've been racing standardbreds out here for close to 100 years. So Amazing. You're going to see every day. And the week before, he'd taken the track record from 151-1 and one to 150-2, and two, and to go another second faster is just amazing for an athlete yeah. like that. That is so great. So uh, the, the obvious question I have when I was reading about this was, you know, could this be a special horse we could hear of on the national scene at some point in time, or or, or is that – it's so hard to predict, I know. No, we, we certainly hope so. We, we certainly think he's got the chance, and we hope he gets the chance. When you get into the business, obviously it's a business. There's money involved. And, and sometimes if you only send one horse out east of Toronto or big track in the U.S. is the Meadowlands or Yonkers in the eastern U.S. where standardbred racing is really big, we hope he gets the opportunity to go out there. I think a lot of the local horsemen hope he goes out there too because it's pretty tough to bang heads against a horse setting a track record every week also, right? But Yeah. Um, he, He's a pretty special animal and obviously gone times faster than what we ever believed we would see. At Century Mile up in Leduc, it's a mile track, and obviously a mile track only has two turns you go around so you can carry your speed better than where at Century Downs, because of the shape that it is, there's actually three turns. So we feel like if he was up at Century De Mile, he'd probably gone an extra second faster than that. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. So, I mean, it, it, it's something we we hope to experience a lot more times in our lifestyle, but who knows, right? Well, yeah, of course. But it's neat that people who were there on Saturday got to see it. Is Shark Week scheduled to uh, race again at Century Downs anytime soon, or is that kind of hard to peg? It, it's hard to peg because they kind of go like they do draws week by week, and standardbreds are a lot different than thoroughbreds in the fact that they can – probably race three times a month where a thoroughbred usually races once a month or once every six weeks but usually when they put in two top efforts like that they give them a week off so i don't think we'll see him again this weekend but i'm sure he'll want to be in the box the following weekend our purses and our industry has really recovered over the last few years that's a story we could talk about for as long as you got time eric one day but um it's recovered pretty good so they're racing for pretty nice money when the open's starting to go for fourteen thousand dollars if you race in the open out here for most of the year, you can easily make one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars with a nice horse like that. So that's pretty good money nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. And I look at it from the other side as the better. Uh, Shark Wake went off, went off as a one to nine favorite. I've never seen that in my life, and it's understandable given what he had done the week before. But uh, that's just a great story, and and I do want to hear more about how how you know much better the industry has become since the. Uh, you know how the great strides you've made since the pandemic of course everybody's had to recover in certain different ways but uh i love going down there 
uh, I'm going to have you back on the show real soon and, 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 and you can tell people and I'll tell people as well, but just the, how great it is to go. I like to sit in the clubhouse and have lunch or dinner there and, and bet on the ponies and uh, really enjoy it that way. Other people like to be right down on the rail. Uh, there's so many different ways to, to enjoy your time at Century Downs, including the casino itself. So I appreciate your time, my friend, and we will have you on again real soon. And maybe you, maybe you can tell us, did you caddy for anybody else? Great. Don't tell me now. Save it for next time. <laughs> yeah, I did. Well, what, one quick little promise I'll, I'll make, Eric. If you ever got time during the daytime, and I'll get you a chance to go out, sit on a jog cart and go around behind one of these calm horses. Once you sit behind one of them, it'll change you forever. Well, it's funny because, yeah, Jeff Robillard, you know, what? I yeah. would love to do that. It's been floated out there before. We just haven't come up with a date or a time. I will definitely take you up on that because I absolutely love the ponies. So thank you, and thanks for uh, telling us about Shark Week this week. That's awesome. Thanks very much for the opportunity, Eric. Have a great day. All right, there he is, Don McDougall, president of the Alberta Standard Bred Horse Association. Some exciting news uh, down at Century Downs these days and, and in Western Canada uh for the ggs love them love them okay that's it for the eric francis show it's brought to you by horse racing alberta live standard bread racing is back every friday and saturday at century downs racetrack and casino come see some history visit thehorses.com must be 18 plus please play responsibly that's it for the show we'll be back again next week monday every monday from noon to one o'clock right here on sports at 960 the fan